Well, as I look around our sanctuary this morning, I see a lot of empty seats. It isn't anywhere close to what I anticipated just a few weeks ago, what our worship service for Easter and Resurrection Sunday would look like this year or any other year. I saw on, on Facebook that one pastor filled the empty seats at his live stream worship service by putting photographs of the folks in the chairs around in, in, from his congregation in the seats where they usually sat. And wouldn't you know it, he got emails from some folks in the congregation that said their picture was on the wrong seat. Well, some things never do change. But I think it was one pastor's wife who borrowed the puppets from the children's ministry and she set the puppets on the seats so her husband wouldn't feel so all alone as he preached. And I just noticed last night there was one where uh, people sent in their own hand-drawn uh, drawings of their faces. And uh, so they put those on the seats. So whatever you want to do to, to help down here at the church, that would be, be appreciated. But Easter has long been my favorite holiday and my favorite time of the year. For most people, Christmas is the wonderful, most wonderful time of the year, like the song says. I love the Christmas season, and my wife and I start listening to Christmas music and start watching Christmas movies embarrassingly early every year. But you have to love spring. It helps that my birthday is in the spring, so I still get gifts around Easter. And then there's Father's Day in the, in the late spring, so I get more gifts. But of course, that's not what spring is all about. That after the long winter, the flowers start to bloom, the crocuses pop out of the ground first, and then they open up in these little tiny flowers, and then the daffodils, the tulip tree in our yard starts to bloom, our peach tree and our apple trees begin to blossom, the violets are, are purple on the ground underneath our tulip tree, and, and our tulips blossom. And I like the way that tulips blossom because like daffodils, they stretch out towards the sunlight. And our tulips are in a shady place between the garage and in the house, and so they get a little bit of sun early in the morning that comes from the east as they are facing south. And then in the late afternoon, they finally get the full sun, and they bend leaning towards the sun, the warmth stretching out toward the warmth of the sunlight. And it all has that feel of new birth, new life, coming from the Lord of all creation. And then there's Easter, Resurrection Sunday, when we look forward normally to gathering together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the highlight, the pinnacle of the Christian calendar, the central fact of Christianity that Jesus is risen. And every Easter, I look forward to the hymns that we will sing together and the joyful worship and the, the Easter meal that we will have as a family. And this year, I miss seeing your joyful faces as we worship together. Each year on Resurrection Sunday, there's one of the men in our church that can't just, that just really can't hardly wait. You know, I watch him sitting over on this side of the church and, and I'm waiting because uh, he's anticipating because there's that point in the service that I will say, he is risen. And everybody in the whole congregation responds, he is risen again, indeed. He is risen indeed. And I already had this in my notes when I called this gentleman, this man yesterday from, in our church. And, and I said, hi, th this is Pastor Bill. And the first thing he said is, he is risen. <laughs> and I said, he is risen indeed. He is risen. Well, life can have disappointments, can it? Especially this year 
with the pandemic. And disappointment is one of those emotions we would rather avoid. We go down life's road expecting that life is going to turn out in a certain way. We, we have certain dreams and certain things that we'd like to see happen, whether it's in relationships or in our career or our education with our family and, and those kind of things and what we want to obtain. And then something like a pandemic comes along and says, you may never get there. Look what you can lose. And what are we to make of, of these kinds of disappointments and losses? And have you ever noticed that some of the saddest words in our English language begin with the letter D? For example, disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, defeat, despair, and death. Just a few days prior to Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus mounted the full foal of a donkey, and he rode into Jerusalem as thousands shouted, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save. And they waved palm branches as he rode through their, their midst. He was their Messiah. He had promised the abundant life. His followers fully expected that he would be their king and that once again Israel would be prosperous and free. But less than a week later, as the sun was about to set behind the horizon, the Son of God hung cold and lifeless on a Roman cross just outside the city. The faithful followers of Jesus looked on in dejected wonder. And the crowd who had come to see the spectacle just to see what was going on and watch all this, they returned to their homes, but they returned to their homes beating their breast a sign of deep grief and mourning over what they had witnessed. And we can only imagine the thoughts and the emotions pounding and ripping at the hearts and the minds of Jesus' followers. Please turn once again to the Gospel of Luke, the, the 23rd chapter, where we pick it up in the 49th verse of chapter 23 of Luke's Gospel. And we don't want to miss what is happening here. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, the gloom of utter, total darkness had fallen over the whole land for three hours. And when he died and gave up his spirit, there was an earthquake. And now the crowd has dispersed from this incredible scene, dark scene of suffering and death. And we pick it up in verse 49 of Luke chapter 23. And all of Jesus' acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee, were standing at a distance, seeing these things. This whole following Jesus thing had not gone as they had expected. From their perspective, standing at a distance by this point, it was all over. Or was it? And in this passage, we see the devotion that some unlikely disciples showed for the Lord Jesus. I call them unlikely disciples, not because it was some surprise that they followed Jesus, but it's unlikely for the rest of us, when, because when we normally think of disciples, we don't think of these kind of people. We tend to think of, of the apostles as the only ones who are fully devoted to Jesus Christ. We just think of them. But there were many others, many others who knew Jesus who were devoted to him, who followed him, who witnessed the crucifixion. 
even though they stood at a distance. And one of these men was a man by the name of Joseph, who was from Arimathea. Verse 50. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, in a parenthesis here, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. According to John's gospel, Joseph was a secret disciple. Scholars say he may have been one of the most wealthy men in all Jerusalem. He was a member of the aristocratic Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, the supreme court of the Jews, which means he was almost certainly a Sadducee. Luke tells us he had not agreed with what the rest of the Sanhedrin had done by putting Jesus on trial, asking the Romans to put him to death. But John's Gospel says that the vote of the Sanhedrin was unanimous. Maybe Joseph didn't cast his vote. But more than likely, Joseph didn't know about that nighttime illegal arrest of Jesus and the trial in the middle of the night and, and all of that just so they could find him guilty. Perhaps and most likely the trial had been hidden from Joseph because he was out of sync with the Sanhedrin. And this secret disciple, it says here, was a righteous man. He was a good man, a man of character. And wealthy, upright Joseph, verse 51 says, was waiting for the kingdom of God. Was waiting for the kingdom of God. He humbly longed and waited for the kingdom that Jesus preached. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. And what a shock it must have been to learn too late of Jesus' crucifixion. But Joseph evidently decided he would be a secret disciple no more. So going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body in verse 52. And just think about the guts it would have taken at this point for Joseph to do this. Because we know from the other Gospels and putting the, the, the account together here that Pilate is with the other members, other members of the Sanhedrin, waiting for word that Jesus is dead. And they had sent to find out, you know, send a, a messenger to find out and come back and say, yes, Jesus is dead, or waiting for the centurion to come and do that. But Joseph shows up first. And when he gets there, there's these other members, the Sanhedrin, that are already there. And think of the courage that it took for this previously secret disciple to do this. Verse 53, 52. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. It was preparation day. You might remember that the Sabbath began at sundown on Friday and ended at sundown on, on Saturday. And so preparation day was Friday. It meant that everything had to be prepared for the Sabbath and the Sabbath meal by sundown. And if there was anything else that needed to be done, it had to be done. Now, one of the other things going on here is if they don't get Jesus down and take his body down by sundown, the Romans will just throw the body of Jesus into a mass grave someplace. And, you know, God had already prophesied that would not happen. But never mind the risk, for Joseph there was no time to waste. Joseph went straight to the top and asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. He quickly took the body down, wrapped it in linen, and put it in his own tomb. 
And we know from John's gospel that he was assisted by a Pharisee named Nicodemus. This might be the only time during that time that a Pharisee and a Sadducee agreed with anything, and that was following Jesus. But now everyone would know for sure where Joseph and Nicodemus stood. And they both went home to mourn in the dark Sabbath night. There was no hope. Their only consolation was that they had honored Christ with one last act of full devotion to him. And in verses 55 and 56 of this 23rd chapter of Luke, we see the devotion of the women who at this time had been standing at a distance and who had witnessed the crucifixion of Christ. Verse 55, Now the women who had come with him, out with Christ, out of Galilee followed, and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. These women also wanted to show their devotion to Christ by properly preparing his body for burial. But the Sabbath was coming, so they returned home to make the necessary preparations. This was Friday evening. It would be Sunday morning before they could come back to the tomb. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that these women were in the habit of showing their devotion to Christ. They had lived their lives to worship and serve Christ. They had followed Jesus from Galilee for the sole purpose of ministering to him. That was their habit, devotion to Christ, ministering to him. Earlier in the day, these same women had been at the foot of the cross. But perhaps because they could not bear to watch the suffering of their Lord up close, they had moved back to a distance. It wasn't that they were afraid, as most of the apostles were, except for John, who had stood at the foot of the cross next to Mary, the mother of Jesus, the women were not ashamed of being identified with Jesus as Peter had been. They withdrew because they were so devastated at the suffering and death of the loved one they loved so dearly. Their grief was deep and their hopes now seemed shattered, but their courage was undaunted. The great, great Bible expositor G. Campbell Morgan described these women as hopeless, disappointed, bereaved, heartbroken. But the love Jesus had created in those hearts for himself could not be quenched, even could not be extinguished, even though the light of hope had gone out. And over the sea of their sorrow, there was no sighing wind that told of the dawn. We don't know how many of these women there were. Matthew uses the word many, many women, which suggests up to a dozen or more. However many women there were, these were the women who had followed Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem to minister to him. And this is something you don't normally see in the movies that, that depict the story of Jesus. But many devoted women traveled with Jesus and the band of disciples and had served him over the last three years of his ministry. According to Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, among the earliest women to follow Jesus were some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. And Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Throughout Jesus' ministry, such women 
ministered generously and lovingly to Jesus and the Twelve, even by contributing out of their own financial resources, their own talents, and ministering their hospitality. Whatever they expected to see and have happen by ministering to Jesus, following him to Jerusalem, they were greatly disappointed. Matthew tells us that two of these women, Mary Magdalene and another woman named Mary, followed Joseph and Nicodemus as they carried Jesus' corpse to the tomb. I can't even imagine them sitting in the darkness by that time on a knoll across the way from the front of the tomb, hearing the stone roll in front of the stone-cold tomb sealing them from their devotion. The Sabbath began when the sun went down on Friday evening. These women were grieved not only over Jesus' death, but by the fact that they could not yet carry out the full measure of their devotion to Christ. They wanted to lovingly and tenderly prepare Jesus' body for burial, to anoint his body with spices, wrap the body in the grave clothes, and their final act of devotion would have to wait until Sunday morning. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 24. Even before dawn on Sunday morning, these devoted women made their way to the tomb for one last act of devotion. Verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early morning, that would be Sunday morning, you know, in the Jewish calendar, they didn't have names for their days of week. You know, they just went, the first day of the week was what we call Sunday and, uh, and so they just counted them off. On the first day of the week, which in our calendar is Sunday morning, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they returned, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, to order, in order to grasp the amazement of Easter morning, of resurrection morning, there's one precondition. There's one thing we understand here. You must realize that no one was expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. No one. And here in verse 1, the women, the eyewitnesses to the death of Jesus, come to the tomb to anoint a dead body, a corpse. They have zero expectations that he has risen. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, verse 2. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this. Stop there for a minute. They were perplexed about this. Bewildered. The first surprise was that the stone had already been rolled away. Matthew's gospel tells us that the women were talking as they were going to the tomb. Well, who's going to roll away that stone? We can't do it. Maybe they thought somebody was already inside, perhaps anointing the body or something more sinister. But when they entered the, the tomb, they did not find the body of Jesus. Uh, Mary Magdalene thought the body had been stolen. Needless to say, this leaves the women wondering about what would happen next as two men appear. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. The word translated dazzling there means to flash like lightning, as bright as lightning. And later, when the women tell the apostles about this, they call them angels, and that's what they were. The women know that they're in the presence of some type of supernatural being, 
And so what do they do? Verse 5, the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. They were overcome with fear and they lowered their faces. They lowered their faces away from the brilliance of the light. And as they bowed their faces to the ground, the angels offered a gentle rebuke in the form of a question. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? You know, I've often wondered, I think the angels were really questioning at this point. Yeah, they, they knew the resurrected Lord. They knew that he, he was alive. The angels are questioning, why they would they come to anoint a lifeless Jesus when they should have known that Jesus would rise from the dead? The angels continued in verse 6. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. Remember. This is one of those, oh, moments here. I remember Jay Kessler, who was founder of Youth for Christ. He used to say that when we get to heaven, the first thing we're going to say is, oh, <laughs> because the Bible says we will know as we have been known. Oh, this is one of those old movement, old moments where it starts to dawn. I think it's very similar to, you know, as we think back on it, it's really, duh, <laughs> duh, we should have known that. The astounding truth that Jesus has been raised from the dead now ringed, oh, ringed over the women's uplifted faces. And the angel reminded them of what Jesus said in verse 7. Jesus said that the Son of Man, that's referring to Jesus. He's called the Son of Man and the Son of God in Scripture. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Oh, <laughs> the angels challenged them to remember the prophecies concerning Jesus and his death. When Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they answered, well, you might be John the Baptist or somebody else or one of the prophets. And, and he looked at the disciples and said, well, who do you say that I am? And you'll remember that Peter expressed that great confession of faith. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus told them, the son of man, the son of God, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Jesus had already told them. Jesus had already taught his disciples in Mark chapter 9. The Son of Man is to be delivered in the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But Mark adds, but they did not understand this statement they were too afraid to ask him. They didn't get it. The women remembered Jesus' words, maybe that he had said that, but Jesus had often spoken metaphorically, and they probably had relegated the hard words to something other than a literal interpretation. But now the light begins to come on. Oh, and they begin to believe the words that Jesus had spoken. You know, there's a great truth for us here. The significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is inseparable from Jesus' prophetic words in his word about his death and resurrection. It is the word of God that makes sense of everything. 
It is the word of God that makes sense of Jesus' death. It is the word of God that makes sense of his resurrection. It is the word of God that makes sense of our disappointments and our despair and the things that we go through and everything else that happens in life. It is the word of God that makes sense of them. And the very structure here in Luke chapter 24 makes this clear because Luke 24 recounts three episodes. First, there's the women's encounter with the angels at the tomb. And then there's Jesus' encounter with the disciples on the road to Emmaus where he, he prevents them from knowing that it is him until they, they finally get it and go, oh. <laughs> and thirdly, there's Jesus' appearance to his disciples in Jerusalem. And every one of these episodes are structured in the same way. First, people are bewildered. They're perplexed. Then they are rebuked, either by angels or by Jesus himself. And then there is instruction given. And then there is witness. Here in Luke chapter 24, verse 6, the angels say to these women, He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. And this is the instruction, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And in verse 25, the resurrected, the resurrected Lord chided the disciples who were walking with him on the road to Emmaus, two disciples who had left that on the first day of the week, early in the morning, and they were getting out of town, and Jesus came and walked with them. And, uh, and then look at what he says in, in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that in other words, the whole Old Testament, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. And then these two disciples, when they're sitting down to eat with Jesus, and they recognize as Jesus broke bread, that's Jesus. And then when Jesus left them, they hurried back to tell the other disciples. And so they're just in the process of telling the other disciples, we saw the risen Lord, and we pick it up in, in verse 44, because Jesus comes among them. And he said to them, to all the disciples, and he said that these are words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, which things are written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That's the whole Old Testament. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And the repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. Here we say the, see the witness to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You see, the prophetic word about Jesus in the entire Bible, the entire Bible is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins that we might be forgiven. To fully understand in the light of the whole word of God. In fact, those who had rejected the prophetic word rejected the resurrection. And that's still true today. People who don't believe in the word of God don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. People who reject the Bible reject the resurrection. And Jesus said that would be that way in Luke chapter 16. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. 
You know, what this means is we are to be a people of the whole book, the whole Bible. We are to devour the Word of God. Our minds and our hearts will begin to embrace the massive dimensions of Christ and all that He has done for us only through the light of the Scriptures, all of them. Last week I mentioned that this pandemic hasn't changed our purpose as believers and as a church one bit. Our purpose is to know Christ and to show Him to others, to be His witnesses. To know Him more intimately, more and more intimately as we get into God's Word and and, uh, get into it more and more deeply. This was the great cry of the Apostle Paul. What did he want more than anything else in the world? He said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, know Christ, and what? The power of his resurrection. That I may know Christ. The word translated know there means to know by experience, to know intimately, by personal experience. I want to know and experience Christ and to know and experience the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And I want to show that to others. In all three of the resurrection experiences recorded in Luke's gospel, the disciples are commanded to be witnesses. As we see in verse 8 of Luke's chapter 24 again, in the 8th verse, it says, The women remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Matthew's gospel says that they were told to go and tell and report to the disciples. And then in verse uh, 10, it mentions some of the names of these women. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also, the other women who were with them were telling these things to the apostles. The, the women were saying, we've just experienced the greatest thing in the history of human earth, that Jesus is risen from the dead, but it's still going to take some doing to bring the others along. Verse 11, but these words appeared to the rest of the apostles, to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what, he had, what had happened. Peter was still in the, the perplexed, the bewilderment stage here. But we have a message for the world that we are, pro, are called to proclaim. But if the disciples initially stumbled over the resurrection, perhaps we should be less surprised when people we tell about Jesus initially stumble over the resurrection. After all, the disciples hurtled it only after much persuasion. And we should therefore excuse or or exercise patience as we share this hope with others. You know, imagine what Jesus must have felt like when he, in his ministry, when he shared the hope of the resurrection during his ministry and forgiveness of sins and eternal life and he's going to raise, be raised from the dead, killed and raised on the third day, all he got back from the disciples was strange looks. They had no idea what he was talking about. And they were afraid to ask what he was talking about. And one can only wonder how the women felt as they shared their story with the male disciples and they called it nonsense. The Greek word literally means silly talk. 
all those women are just having silly talk. But the Bible is real, Israel as it tells its story. The doubt of the disciples is set forth with crystal clarity. And their slowness to, to believe is not exemplary, but it is instructive. The resurrection is a doctrine that is hard to believe. And for that reason, the Holy Spirit of God needs to work in hearts and minds as the gospel is shared. When we tell others about Jesus, we must pray that the Holy Spirit will soften their hearts and that God's word would enlighten them and that he would call them to himself. We've already seen how important the idea is that God keeps his promises and the resurrection is one of the greatest of all of God's promises. According to the Christian hope, God gives everlasting life, eternal life to his children in a world that he is going to remake and renew. If such a world is to come and if God keeps his promises, then preparing for that world is one of life's most basic tasks and the most important task of life. The life to come is, of course, much longer duration than the here and now. In fact, the life to come is eternal. It's forever. And thus preparing for it is more important than any short-term issue we face today. Yes, even more important than facing a pandemic. One of Luke's burdens in writing a gospel is to show that God's plan is revealed to the person who understands who and how great Jesus is, who understands his love, his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, and his forgiveness that we might live with God forever. As Lord, Jesus is worthy to be trusted. He's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be praised, and he's worthy to be followed. No one is more worthy than our Savior Jesus Christ. And in light of his majesty and who he is and his position at the right hand of the Father, we should be all willing subjects resting in his care and in his direction. I want to draw out two applications from this text in Luke's Gospel that will help us in these days that we now live in. First of all, when you are going through tough, dark days, do this. Remember. Remember. Follow the advice of the angels. Remember. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what he has done for you. The angel said to the women, the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise again. That is the gospel in a nutshell. That is the gospel truth of which we believe, by which we are saved. Remember that Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. Remember that God so loved the world, this world that is suffering and going through all of this mess right now, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life.
remember. Remember that Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will send my Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And remember that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, He has given you His Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor, who lives in you and teaches you all things. And that Jesus gives you peace in a world that has no peace. Jesus says to you, Peace I leave with you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. Remember, duh, or maybe, oh, it is better. And then secondly, remembering is the key to being an effective and faithful witness for Jesus Christ. Remembering is the key to being a faithful and effective witness for Jesus Christ. Because when you remember, you will want to share it. You will want to tell somebody. I remember a song years ago by Don Francisco, which was called, you gotta, I Gotta Tell Somebody. And it was the story of Jairus' daughter when Jesus healed his daughter. And Jesus said, at this point in his ministry, well, don't tell anybody. And uh, the song goes on the course, I gotta tell somebody. I gotta tell somebody. Tell somebody that Jesus Christ is Lord. Remember, when you remember, that is the key to being a witness. The women at the tomb hurried to tell the other disciples. And when the disciples on the road to Emmaus realized that it was the resurrected Lord that they were having breakfast with, they hurried to tell the other disciples. When the resurrected Lord came to the whole band of the disciples, he said to them, you will be witnesses of these things. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what Jesus has done. Remember who you are. You are a child of God, beloved, forgiven, filled with the Spirit of God. Remember that you and everyone else who knows Jesus as Savior will spend that time in eternity with Him, worshiping and praising God and enjoying the fellowship of God and the fellowship of one another for all eternity. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, I pray and trust that as we've been looking into your word today, you have brought many things back to our minds, Lord, that, that uh, we remember, Father. And Father, I pray, too, that if there's someone who is listening to this right now, Lord, and doesn't know you as Savior, Father, that your Holy Spirit would now call that person to yourself, bring them to faith and trust and forgiveness of all their sins in Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, I pray that we would be, even in this time of social distancing, which is really physical distancing, because there are many ways that we can stay connected to one another, Lord, but help us to stay connected with our, our friends and our neighbors, especially those who are in need, and especially those who don't know Christ, Lord. We pray that we would be faithful and effective witnesses for Jesus Christ during this time. And we pray it in his name. Amen.